Previously on the Untitled Beatles podcast. I thought the winter would be a good time for you and I to just turn up the heat, get a nice hot toddy going, and just luxuriate in the whiteout. Egg on my face, all I prepared was two virgins. As you may know, it is my favorite Beatles album. The White Album has rarely, if ever, been in my top three favorite Beatles albums. Oh, Judas! What do they call Mike condoms? What do you call these? <laughs> Yeah, Mike Rubbers. Laugh all you want, chuckleheads. One day I shall destroy this podcast. Love you, babe. Brucey. <laughs> my new hot and heavy girlfriend is going to be with me at all times then. I don't think my mom ever heard the White Album until like a few years ago. Did I make up a word? Psychedelia? It's kind of poking fun at the, the collector scum thing, TJ. Who's the scum now? <laughs> oh, what? Me? Cool. Let me keep going. Blah, blah, blah. Flip the tape over. Untitled Beatles podcast. Well, let's go track by track, side by side. Do you have a favorite side? My favorite side, I think, is side one. Yeah, it's it's side one or side two, although side three is so great. I, yeah. Side three yeah. may be my number one. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's tricky because this album has the most Beatles songs I don't like. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I think exactly. It's the only Beatles album. That's why it's great. Where totally, it's the only Beatles album where, without question, the sum of its parts is greater than the individual components. Yeah. What other album are you putting Wild Honey? But you know, Wild Honey Pie ain't going on something new. Although Dave Dexter (laughs) had something to say about it. I love you, honey pie. Anytime at all. <laughs> I, love, I love the idea that Dave Dexter can go years into the future to pluck songs and put them. Yeah. New, new, yeah. Something newer. <laughs> Something new-ish. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, side three is phenomenal. And side three may be my favorite. But I think I go three, two, one party party etching four <laughs> side four i go one three two four yeah all right well let's do it back in the ussr man that is a vickers viscount turbo prop plane sound effect used to kick off this record even for 68 and that stereo it's mixed really cool <laughs> yeah. It really is. It, it 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 starts. It goes right to left and back again. I kept thinking, has anyone done a back in the USSR slash jet mashup yet? Oh, <laughs> Casey, <laughs> got got some homework this weekend, Casey. <laughs> Well, we start off this record with, a, it's a parody. It's a joke. We start this record off with humor. It's a, a parody of Back in the USSA. <laughs> or back, back in the USA, but yep. I mean, USSA. <laughs> it's a parody of Chuck Berry's Back in the USSA. Oh, my God. It's a Chuck Berry. <laughs> Chuck Berry. Later host of The Gong Show. 
Uh, Chuck Berry back in the USA. You and then did also, it. thank you. California Girls uh, by the Beach Boys. Yeah, I just like that this record starts off with a joke. And then Paul essentially invents Yakov Smirnoff's act by flipping the script on USA and USSR. You know, so... Congrats to you. Paul invented Yakov Smirnoff. It's pronounced with a hard J. Jagoff Smirnoff. <laughs> hey, Jagoff Smirnoff. I didn't come to Vegas to see no Russian. Get off the stage. Where's Paula Poundstone? There are certain things, no matter how long I live here, there are certain things hard to understand. Like expressions can be very confusing. For example, one lady said to me, I quit smoking cold turkey. I said, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> what do you smoke now, ham? Well, the John Birch Society, TJ, your oh, friends, no. they did not get the joke, and they cited this song as evidence that the Beatles had ties to communism. I'm, that, that's serious. That's, I'm, that's not a bit. Yeah, of course not. It's like the, <laughs> the, the QAnon geniuses who've just seen the Butcher cover who are freaking out right now. <laughs> oh, good. Good. As long as they're listening to the Beatles, man. <laughs> right, right. They need to learn, too. Yeah, it's it's a great song. And Paul's drumming has an urgency. I mean, look, I'm not saying Paul's better the drummer than Ringo by any means, but Paul's drumming suits the song so perfectly because Paul's pushing that tempo and kind of rushing it a bit. He's not in that Ringo pocket. Paul's drumming's more tempo forward, and it suits the frenetic nature of this tune. That's what makes it rock so hard. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a that's a good song. It's a cool song. The only Beatles song to reference an air sickness bag. When do they say that? Flew in from Miami Beach, BOAC, didn't get to be, uh, listen. On the way, the paper bag was on my knee. <laughs> oh, I thought I was going to sit on the way my uh, paperback was on I my did knee. too, because paperback rider. Yeah. He was trying to push paperback rider to get a few more sales. <laughs> Here's the problem of putting the fucking poster up is I've never read the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the lyrics are on the other side. Oh, it is cool. <laughs> One more thing. The CDs, when they when they print the lyrics and the poster really small, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get a, one of those microscopes out to read it. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, I've always liked this song. It's a good song. It starts out with a rocker. I just like that they start with a joke. That's great. You know, they haven't lost their sense of humor. Well, like the Bee Gees, Paul started a joke. <laughs> I started a joke, which started the whole world crying. 
I think that's the same year, too. I don't want to say that. It's, it's right around then. Uh, yeah, I feel like I just want to say one last time, Paul is Rock's most underrated drummer. I feel like uh, if he's Rock's most underrated drummer, not named Jimmy Nickel, especially in a song <laughs> about traveling when Ringo couldn't travel. <laughs> By the way, a balalaika is a it's this ridiculously large triangular guitar that is uh, in Russian culture. Let me hear your balalaikas ringing out. Come and keep your comrade warm. You know, when I was a kid, I always, for the longest time, I thought a balalaika was another word. It was like a British word for the the uvula, the thing, that little thing that hangs in the back of your throat. I thought it was like referencing singing, like let your bellalakas, your uvulas <laughs> ring out like bells because you're singing so hard. That's what I thought that was. I th I thought it was boobs. Can I say boobs? <laughs> are you not allowed? Casey, can, can we please say boobs? <laughs> yes, I love to say boobs. Casey. Casey. Please. Gentlemen, this is a classy venture. I can't in good conscience let you say boobs. Clean it up. I didn't say the much more vulgar T word. Tatas. Tatas. Tata. So you thought it was uh you thought it was the female breast? Now that's better, I'll accept it. Yeah, I I, I let me see your bell lock is ringing out. I honestly thought it was like a joke about you know, wanting to see a woman's breast. I really did. <laughs> you watched, you were watching airplane too much during the turbulence scene. <laughs> Robert Hayes was great in that movie. Robert yeah. Hayes also on the short lived sitcom Angie, which paired Robert Hayes with Donna Pescow and had one of the great TV themes uh, that Maureen McGovern sang. Oh. And it gave the world Doris Roberts. Doris Roberts in the 70s was a 70-year-old mom. She played that role for 40 years on television. But the show's called Angie. Channel 7 headed on reruns in the summer of 85 at 10 a.m. I got to go. Good night. <laughs> there he goes. Okay. Well. <laughs> Well, this was the song that that caused Ringo to leave the group for two whole weeks. I guess Paul gave him some notes on on his drumming, and Ringo was like, "You know what, man? You do it yourself, or whatever." Yeah. And they did. And he did. And to Paul's credit, he did it masterfully. Yeah, he was. Uh, he did the main beat, and then they there were overdubs with Paul, George, and John all adding drum bits, kind of like they did at the Strawberry Fields too. Yeah. Um, the bass was also done by John, George, and Paul. I think Paul's is what you hear last, but John was playing on the original track. And then it was recorded in the key of G and then sped up a full step to A. Yeah, because it's always sounded like it's an A to me. Yeah. But on the in 2018, uh, the remix thing, you got to hear the original version, and it's it's like... You know how rain sounded so fast when we heard it at its original tempo? Yeah. This sounds so slow at its original tempo. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's like, oh, I didn't know this song. It feels like it drags.
the light Escher demo of this is really neat too. I've always loved how joyous and acoustic-y that version is. Yeah. A testament to how well the song was written. Flew in from Miami Beach, Bay OAC. Didn't get to bed last night. On the way, the paperback was on my knee. Man, I had an awful flight. I'm back in the USSR. You don't know how lucky you are, boy. Back in the USSR. Has this song changed given Russia's egregious global political activities? Like, because it does, I don't blame the many of the good Russian people, but given what Russia's doing, does this song have to go away for a little bit? No. Or is that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Yeah, because A, they're talking about the Soviet Union, which doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah, it's a song that's already dated. He's talking about BOAC. Now that's uh, British Overseas Airways Corporation. Now it's just British Airways. The song is of its time. And uh, I think it's okay, as is. <laughs> I always thought BOAC meant one of two things. There's BYOAC, which is bring your own you know, power. A lot of times you get like a party on a boat. You can't... Can't fuck up. You're talking about part. AOC? Bring your own AOC? <laughs> or, oh, no, bring your own AOC. I thought you meant political power. <laughs> Q, I got the power! <laughs> and uh, BOAC, uh, former uh, Laker AC Green, who's still a virgin, had terrible body odor. And I thought that was a reference to BOAC. Our definition of safe sex is no sex. Hi, I'm AC Green. In the next few minutes, we're going to be talking about a subject that is familiar with all of you in one form or another. The subject is sex. That's right. Here we go. The S word. S-E-X. And this is one that Paul has done live pretty consistently, I think, in just about every tour. Maybe not the New World Tour, the second one he did after the comeback, but Paul clearly loves this song, too. That's cool, man. That's cool. Well, on the Peter Sellers tape, you get the... Uh airplane sound effect unadorned for a long long time but uh listening to it on this record uh yeah it fades right into dear prudence so it does still take some things from sergeant pepper like the whole fading in and out to me back in the ussr is the beginning of this journey of this record that you're on you're getting in the on the plane and you're going on a journey and it lets you off in this peaceful john song you know, you know tony i'd like to hear like to hear a little more about this journey of which you speak. You're, oh, you yeah. keep doing it. Just a white album <laughs> living with four sides. I like them one, three, two, four. TJ likes them three, two, one, four. Hey, Tony, you know where else you can get four sides? At Kenny Rogers Roasters. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention. Yes, uh, should have done this during housekeeping. Do you like the white album? What about white chicken? That's the color our delicious chicken is before we roast it to a perfect golden brown. Golden brown chicken. <laughs> With new locations in Papua New Guinea and the Maluku Islands, otherwise known as the Spice Islands. <laughs> Teacher says all the children sing. Thank you. Teacher says all the children sing. Less fat, less salt, less calories. Well, we get dropped off at a lovely, a lovely place. I love this song. I mean, it's got that finger picking that puts me in my, it kind of hypnotizes me into a peaceful place. Dear Prudence. 
teacher says finger picking good <laughs> strumming bad <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, i love this song so much and in fact what's ruined me a little bit is the rock band remix which has the mm. clean intro and clean outro yeah you don't you don't care for that no, I love it. it uh, what oh, I'm saying is, like, I, I love, I love it without the the rock band remix has John Soft count in. One, two, three, four. And it just starts awesome. right in the with with the uh, it, at full volume. It ends with the full chord. On the 2018 remix, you can hear the full chord probably the loudest. Maybe mono it's the second loudest, but yeah, I'm I'm obviously nitpicking. I love and have always adored and been fascinated by the song and the fade outs of songs on this record are unlike any other record in rock history too. In many respects, the fade outs and what you can hear if you listen closely are it's more important than some of the psychedelic stuff and it's cleaner, if not a little less easy to discern. Yeah, man. Well, the song famously about Prue from the Great British Baking Show, she made a, a soggy bottomed... No. Wait um. a minute. <laughs> That's not Prue. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got my notes wrong here. Q McCartney pressed to play, It's Not Prue. But I'm telling you, it's not Prue. It's not Prue. It's not the lovely Paul. <laughs> No, famously about Mia Farrow's sister Prudence, yeah. who was staying in the bungalow meditating the most. John said she was trying to reach God quicker than anyone else. Prudence Farrow. Recorded at Trident. You know, they were recording at Trident a lot on this record. Yeah. And that's because it had an eight-track player. Abbey Road was still had a, you know, just a four-track, so they went over to Trident. They recorded Hey Jude there, a bunch of other songs. Yeah. Until finally, I think it was George Harrison kicked him in the ass and <laughs> they had an eight track, but it was like, oh, that's only for classical music or something like that. And it hadn't been installed yet. Yeah. And I think the Beatles used their muscle to expedite the installation of it. Yeah. And it, it makes a difference. I mean, it's one of the reasons the White Album and Hey Jude and Revolution also sound different than any other Beatles record has ever sounded. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also why this this record has lasted so long for me as my favorite. It sounds... It just sounds up to date. It sounds to me as fresh as anything could sound if recorded today, if you're making this kind of music, rock and roll, you know? Yeah, you know, four years after A Hard Day's Night, it almost feels like the logical Beatle growth follow-up because that's another album that to me, well, <laughs> I don't even know. If you have a Beatle growth, you, you should get that looked at. Oh, your doctor. I know it's adorable and it's singing you those great songs, but uh -oh. it's going to kill you if you don't get it. <laughs> We were talking about Paul's drumming on Back in the USSR. How about Paul's drumming on Dear Prudence? Those fills? Yeah, those fills. Yeah, man. That's why I, I, I was like, wait, there's no way that's Paul, but it was. I just didn't know. I For the longest time, I thought it was Ringo. They're shambolic like Ringo, but it's also very different than Ringo. Different feel. Different feel, you're right, yeah. Yeah, but he's, but uh, yeah, shambolic or original, you know? I yeah. feel like he's doing something new each time, kind of like Ringo's rule he gave himself to not repeat fills and that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Backup singers on this include Mal Evans, Jackie Lomax, and Paul's cousin, John McCartney. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all I got for that one. Yeah. All right. Pressing on. Hey, it's, now it's time for Ringo's debut on the White Album. Da-da, da-da. <laughs> Yeah, man. I love this song, man. From the first time I ever heard this. I, well, I will say this, though. The very first time I heard this, I saw that title. And this is when I'm like way into the whole so Strawberry Fields, Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour, I'm the Walrus. I was thinking Glass Onion's going to be this like crazy psychedelic record. Like, like a I, Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll. <laughs> this is like eighth grade. And I remember I also bought like a, a cassette called Flower Power and it had like Strawberry Alarm Clock on it and the Lemon Pipers and Spanky and Our Gang. So I see Glass Onion and I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those songs. So I was technically I was slightly disappointed when I <laughs> when I heard it was like just, you know, a regular old rock and roll song. So was George Martin. George Martin was disappointed when he heard it too. Well, yeah, yeah, he did the score on it, but Chris Thomas produced this one. Yeah, when George came back from vacation and heard it, and was like, Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to spruce it up a little bit. So yeah, but now it's one of your favorites. It's one of my favorites too. I love it, man. I love this song. Yeah, the feel on it's great. It's a great sound. This is one of those one of those great guitar songs. It's kind of weird in John Lennony. Obviously, it references five other Beatles songs, which made it real interesting listening, you know. Yeah. It's so fun that it references itself. Not the last time that the Beatles will reference themselves either on a on this record. Yeah, I mean, and then there's of course the freeze a bird video. So you know it did happen after. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Strawberry Fields is referenced, and on Anthology yeah. Two, I think, or Three, I guess it is. You can hear there's a Mellotron part that was in there that they didn't use. Yes. Well, here's another place you can go. And Paul overdubbed a recorder part to sound like the fool on the hill. Right. Bit, which is really neat. That's so, yeah, that's a fun wink and a nod. I tell you, man, he's living there still. Well, here's another place you can be. Uh, fool on the Hill is referenced as well as I Am the Walrus, Lady Madonna, and then Fixing a Hole. And it's a fun toot and a snore, but <laughs> in 74. It's going round, Stevie. <laughs> you want to snore, Stevie? Uh, glass onion i just learned this it's a british term for a monocle remember when michael jackson when he owned all the beatles songs and he used this song for mr peanut <laughs> chewing on a planter's nut chomp chomp i told you about cashews and honey roasters 
You know what, man? I was yeah. I was pumping gas the other day, and I heard this song playing at the gas station in Highland Park, Illinois. That's cool. That's insane. I think that has to do with the because now that's also the title of a of a movie, the Knives yeah, Out. Yeah, that's right. Which is that inspired by the song? Is that a coincidence that it's called Glass Onion? Is there anything to do as like an homage to uh, the Beatles? Not really. Not really. The guy plays a Beatles song on guitar. On the guitar Paul wrote it on. And then it's the Glass Onion is used as uh, the closing credits, but that's about it. That's about it. Okay. Other movies. Now, yeah, here, I, I did a, I did some research, TJ. Oh, I'm sure you did. You're the show's <laughs> researcher. <laughs> I was trying to think of uh, other movies that have Beatles songs in the title that have nothing to do with the Beatles. So I came up with five. There's others, but I came up with five. Can't Buy Me Love. 1987, Eight Days a Week, 1997, Nowhere Man, 2008, Back in the USSR, 1992, and then Dear Prudence. Uh, that's a TV movie. <laughs> Wait, they had nothing to do with the Beatles or they yeah. did? Because had nothing to do with the Beatles. Wow, man. <laughs> wow, you're blowing my mind because I was trying to think. Did Kemp by Me Love? No. No, that had the African anteater ritual dance in it. <laughs> She's an anteater. I'll never forget that soundtrack. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, there was I Want to Hold Your Hand, but that is about the Beatles. That ha- That is peripherally about the Beatles. Bob Zemeckis's uh, debut. Yes, indeed. Bob Zemeckis, we know each other. Yeah, your pals. <laughs> He signed your Bruce Spicer book. (laughs) (laughs) He did. I want to hold your hand. Rated PG. Now playing at the Camel View and Town and Country Theaters and the Phoenix Drive-In. So with hearing so much Beatles stuff through the years, but also now the Giles Martin remixes, I'm haunted when I hear Glass Onion because I lived in the love soundtrack for so long that when I hear Glass Onion, I'm expecting to hear the O's from Hello, Goodbye, the nothing is real from strawberry fields the guitar riff from things we said today okay those are burnt in my it doesn't change how i feel about the song i love the song i also love how the song sounds in mono um mm, yeah but the stereo one's the one that i most grew up listening to and and so i, I just know it the best but it's weird to not hear the things that are common in the love soundtrack it's poison to me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's a whole different episode, uh, Tony, is things like the love soundtrack and covers, if anything's have messed with our minds, as has happened to yeah. Glass Onion with me. And there's something pretty cool as we get into the next track, which is, of course, Ubla Dia Bla Da. Yes. On the cassette, It's All Cry Instead, the one in mono with the repeated verse <laughs> <laughs> edited. That song is the long version. Yeah. Dexter, get your hands off my white album. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, it, it's weird on the Apple copy of this, and I didn't dig deep enough to know like which which Apple pressing it is. I can certainly do that. I just haven't. Uh, as soon as the strings begin to really fade from Glass Onion, you hear that ghost piano in the grooves of Ubla Di Ubla Da. Oh. So you can hear you can hear it in the groove just before it begins to play. You hear the dun 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 dun. dun. It's wild. Yeah, and that has to do with um, the way the tape is wound, I believe. Like, that section of the Obla di Obla da, the piano-pounding intro, is then kind of pressed onto the end of Glass Onion on the reel because it's wrapped around in such a way. So it's like this silly putty, like, pressing, newspaper pressing of that song at okay. the end of Obla di Obla da. I wonder if there are different tapes used for different pressings because the other vinyl pressings I have don't do that. It was just weird to this one Apple pressing. And yeah. It was an interesting anomaly. I've never heard that. That's totally cool yeah. on that particular song. That's wild. Now, I noticed you say, Obla di Oblada, and I say Obla di Oblada. You like tomato, I like tomato. Uh, well, how do you say the Hanson hit from 95, Buzz Me? Oh, I say Mbop. What, what do you say? Mbop. Try it. Mbop. That's how you say mbop. But that's a handsome pronunciation, and then they got overdubs because their labels like you can't sound like a moron. <laughs> and Hanson's like, well, that's our single, and it was originally. <laughs> well, as you know, TJ, uh, Obladi Oblada was inspired by the Jamaican ska record, the hit from the mid '60s, "My Boy Lollipop." It opens, that song opens, that's John on piano with what sounds like a frustrated pounding out of the piano rhythm. It is. It's the best angry piano playing. I think it's some <laughs> of John's best piano on record. I really do. Yeah. He rocks the fuck out. It's cool. Yeah, and now you can tell this is like the, the precursor to Maxwell Silverhammer. This to me, it's Paul. He's written like a very pop tune this is the hit. This is the single. And that's why he's like over laboring it. And that's leading John to this bit, this frustration of just like, dun, 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 take 57. Dun, 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 dun. Pounding it. Yeah. But the band and Paul going along with it because it was the right choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a way to open that. Yeah. I think it's a great opening. It's, I know, I think you prefer the, uh, first version of this song right yeah the one that was going to be part of the sessions album that i heard on ultra rare tracks and was um on anthology um three three right yeah the more like acoustic guitar version it's yeah like, it's got more of like and i'm looking through the congress do 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 i don't know why yeah. three you came out of there i don't necessarily mean that but it's got that more of like acoustic-y sound to it and uh, i love that one i love when the 
the percussion comes in during the chorus where those vibes are marimbas. It's a wonderful take. This version is controversial. There are Beatle fans who don't love the Beatle, who side with John. Where are you with Ubla Dia Blah Da? Oh, I know. You like the Patty LaBone version. <laughs> I mean, if there's got to be a definitive version. <laughs> Life goes on. Because <laughs> I was raised by the television set, TJ. So I bow to the god of TV. With a couple of kids running in the yard of Desmond and Mom. Uh, yes, I will be. I'm in the John camp on this one. Whenever this song comes on, this is a part of the White Album where I'm like, all right, <laughs> you know. But uh, it's part of this record. It's it's one of the happier moments on the record. What is wrong with a happy song? There's nothing wrong with a happy song. But uh, yeah, for me, yeah, I am definitely in camp. Oh no, blah d. Oh no, blah da. <laughs> I mean, that's rough. More like Molly is the singer in a bland. <laughs> yeah, more like that. No, it's a, it's an all right song, but I th- it's this suffers to me from like the it's not Paul that ruined it. It's the it's what I call the Grateful Dead effect where the fans ruin it for you. You know what I mean? This song became like, oh, that's my favorite Beatles song. You know, to me, it became like the song that greatest hits people love. Well, because this was on the Blue Album. Yeah. Yeah, one of a few of the White Album songs on the Blue Album, yeah. Yeah, it kind of became canon by its placement on the... Again, the couple generations of us, those Red and Blue Albums were, okay, these are the important songs. These are the mm-hmm. ones that, that mean something to, to the Beatles um, family. Not to be confused with the band family. <laughs> Wear Wellington boots when you tread into water But what do you do when she's finally caught you? Well, man, yeah. I mean, they spent five days on this song. That's what I was getting at with Paul, you know, Maxwell Silver hammering this before that song existed. Yeah, no question. And I do prefer that anthology version. I like the more kind of more mellow acoustic version of it for sure. But, you know, it is a fun song and it's a Beatles staple. When Paul does it live, people go crazy. It's crazy to think this is one he didn't do live until the mid-late 2000s. Yeah, that is wild. This was never done live. Yeah, I had I, why this was left off tripping the live fantastic, I, I don't know. I'm surprised. Well, you need, you know, the Robbie 10-minute uh, <laughs> solo before Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> Oh yeah, needed that. You're right. You're right. Had to make cuts. Can't throw all my trials on this. You got to give me this. This. (laughs) This kind of. It's fine, but like I don't want to hear Pink Floyd right now. I want to hear you, Paul. (laughs) Well, Obladi Oblada. The title itself that came from Jimmy Scott. He played bongos on this and was the yeah the inspiration for the title. It was something that he would say around the clubs when Paul was going out to the clubs. He was called Jimmy Scott. And, you know, we would jive together just, hey, man, you know, what's going on? Yeah. And he would say, oh, bloody, oh, bloody, life goes on, brah. And then Paul later sent Jimmy Scott a check as a thank you for the inspiration. So you can say that Paul appropriated Jimmy's culture, but then he also paid one reparation. 
certainly paid more than he paid half a wings after that 72 bus tour. <laughs> He's like, isn't it fun that we're touring? Like, we're broke. They're like, we are broke. <laughs> we are. We, we're not Beatles. <laughs> right. Right. We're not getting the same deal as you, man. Oh, funny. Yeah. Um, going back to studio turmoil. During the recording of this, George Martin criticized Paul's singing. Paul told George Martin to come down and sing it himself. <laughs> yeah, well, like he also told um, Hugh Padham, when was your last number one hit? Wow. When he was critical during Press to Play. And there's another moment where, whose book was this in? I, I forgot where I read this, where George Martin during either Pipes of Peace or maybe Tug of War came down to tell Paul it's not good enough. And Paul's response was, you think I don't know? Interesting moment. And, and, and then Paul said, never mind. Here's a great one. It's called Spies Like Us. <laughs> yeah. The 80s were hard. The yeah. 80s were hard. Moving on to your... What is this? Like your this is like your seventh or sixth favorite Beatles song of all time? Wild Honey Pie. I call this uh, my note is uh, to date. This is the worst recorded and released Beatles song at this point in their career. This is the first, and I'm including flying. God bless you, fly. <laughs> This is the worst. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you, Mr. Moonlight. <laughs> is this not the worst moment on a Beatles record to date? No, I disagree. I like this. I've always liked this song, TJ. I'll take this song over many others. Many others. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm not saying it's a bad song. I'm saying, is it not? What's a worse Beatles song than this at this point in their career? That's all I'm saying. A worse original. Worse original. Oh, worse original. It's their worst original to date. I'm not insulting <laughs> it. It's just the fact, right? What is a worse original by 68 I mean, than Wild Honey by? I mean, this is all subjective, but like, uh, you know. Don't say thank you, girl. <laughs> okay, how about this? From me to you. I take Wild Honey Pie over from me. Wild Honey Pie should be on one and please, please me and not from me to you. Kick it out. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is better than what goes on, you know. And you're a drummer. How and you, I'm a how drummer. How do you do that to Ringo? Well, Ringo didn't play on Wild Honey Pie. <laughs> it's, that's why I can't stand it. Well, actually, just to set the record straight here, we did go through an exercise a year ago, last January, where both the guys ranked all of the Beatles' original songs, and Tony actually had Wild Honey Pie at number 88 meaning he ranked nearly 100 other songs beneath it. TJ, to his credit, remains true to his ranking. He had Wild Honey Pie at number 182, just above Run For Your Life, Dig It, and Revolution Number 9. Yeah, this is all Paul. To me, this is just fun and it's harmless. I love there's like this insane vibrato on the strings, which is also created by them wobbling the tape as well. But yeah. This is the rubberiest Beatles song. I'll give you that. I won't say worst, but it's the rubberiest. 
What brand? <laughs> Michelin? I don't know. <laughs> hey, Michelin men. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing. I will say this. I'll show some beetle ignorance here. I'm not afraid to show it. I also, it happens fairly frequently. For most of my life, I was positive, and I mean positive, that John was contributing vocals to the song. Yeah, right. John is not. No, it's all Paul. I spent 40-some years of my life, honest <laughs> to God, confident that my ear told me that John was on this. He ain't. He gone. Blaming John for this song. Yeah. It's your buddy Paul. It's all Paul. <laughs> uh, spies like us over wild honey pie. <laughs> no. One for all and all for one. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, man. I love, well, I, I it's always been a favorite to me. And it's just short. It's over in a minute. I think it's great. I think it adds to this record. I love this song. I'll, I'll defend it to the end. Well, here's something. And the reason I asked earlier uh, about the different pressings we were going to listen to this on, check this out. In the 1987 CD of this, the CD that was available until September of 2009... The uh, Mellotron flamenco guitar is tacked to the end of Wild Honey Time. Yes. And no other pressing has that. Every other CD that's come out of this has it um, where it belongs at the beginning. That's what I remember about buying it on CD. Yeah. Was that the, yeah, that's the Mellotron sample on the, that does the flamenco guitar. I always associated that with Bungalow Bill. It's where it belongs. Every right. other pressing has that. But on the initial CD in 87, yeah, I it's remember. tacked on. It's weird. I'd forgotten. Yeah, it is totally weird. Yeah. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, I guess that's part of Wild Honey Pie. You know, which would also make sense. That's the beauty of this album is <laughs> yeah. why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Why wouldn't? I mean, that's what I thought for, you know, a couple of years. Yeah. That's funny, man. While we're mentioning that CD that came out in 87, I'm holding in my hand a Beatle fan magazine from 1987. Mm. And it's it came out right after it was released. It talks about how the Sgt. Pepper CD spent five weeks at number one. Uh, and check this out. The White Album debuted on Billboard CD chart at number 29, the lowest debut to date for any of the Beatles CDs. Huh. This is the fall issue of a Beatle fan in 87. Uh, That's interesting. I wonder if it was because it was a double record and people didn't want to spend 30 bucks on an album in 1987. That's probably what it was priced at, right? Like thirty four ninety nine or something crazy, I'll bet. I remember CDs were 15 bucks. I think that's what I seem to remember. Does that sound right? It was like cassettes. You could get cassettes for like seven or eight bucks and LPs for seven or eight bucks, maybe 10 bucks. But yeah, CDs were like twice as much, I remember. Weren't CDs like $14.99, $15.99, like around there? That's what I'm, yes, yeah. That's what I kind of remember. Yeah. And if they had sales, then you'd see eleven ninety nine or whatever for, you know, s stuff was on sale. But the mean price or the average price for new stuff, la la la, was about 15 I thought. And that's where Best Buy fucked everybody from the Tower Records to the little stores because then Best Buy was saying, we want to sell refrigerators. All our CDs are eight ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. And all the record stores got screwed. And then came the internet. Thanks, Al Gore. <laughs> I'm clever. What do I call you? Do I call you uh, Mr. Vice President? Do I call you Al? Do I call you Mr. Gore? Do I call you... Could I call you Senator, being formerly a senator? What... 
Your adequacy is fine. Your adequacy. <laughs> and it, yes, so that Mellotron sample, Spanish guitar, I didn't know that till, uh, you know, in the last couple years, but yeah, that's the Mellotron making that sound. I was always like, who played the guitar? It's a Mellotron. Is that Chris Thomas playing that part of the Mellotron? He does play the Mellotron on this record, yeah. Yeah. This is another Chris Thomas production, so George Martin is away. That means it's September of 68 when a continuing, the continuing story of Bungalow Bill is released. This has always been a favorite song of mine. I know it's not yours so much, I've, and I've, I've just always found that peculiar because to me it's this sing-along, it's childlike, but there's also the darkness that this album has with referencing the, the, you know, the shooting of an animal. I've just always loved the childlike, happy nature with the dark subject matter angle on this. Deep in the jungle where the mighty tiger lies, Bill and his elephants were taken by surprise. So Captain Marvel zapped him right between the eyes. All the children sing. You know, on one level, Tony, I weirdly haven't enjoyed the sing-song nature of this. I don't know that Yoko's voice was appealing to me, and when I got mm. into this album, I was pretty strong into, of course Yoko broke up the Beatles. I'm in seventh grade, and I know everything. <laughs> you know, so that's... That, that's also was, what all the media and the books were saying back then, too, so... Oh, yeah, and, and pop culture had accepted that by the late 80s. Yeah. I also think subconsciously, possibly... The John songs that, uh, with references to guns and violence uh, I have have hit me the wrong way. And the shooting and killing of this, you know, um, we'll get to happiness as a warm gun. I, it's, it, I have a hard time connecting with it given the horrible way in which John was taken from us. It just, it, it's, it's always been too present for me. Yeah. It might mean I'm crazy. I'm just being honest. Yeah, yeah. I think that's for you. You are, yeah, you are unable to separate this song from that moment. Like that moment still seems very, very nearby. Because I, I don't understand it. It's why that scene in the Imagine doc with the kind of doctored, it's a little cheeky. They doctor footage while the day in the life is crescendoing and it's John in a limo and they show him walking and it, yeah. as if he's getting out and then the glasses fall. And just to think he was going home from the studio where he was, the way he was taken from us hit me so hard, Tony. And with a culture and a country that's so obsessed with guns right now, that's why it's never far from me. I can't tear apart what happens at Sandy Hook from the way John Lennon was taken from. I mean, guns really are a real sore spot for me. And just hearing John singing about him in a sing-song way just hits me wrong. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and I, I share your feelings about that. I'm not a big fan of those things. Yeah, I think the reason I like this song is because it is a satire of kind of American bravado, gun culture, jingoism, and it's dressed up like a like it's like a musical comic book. This song, right down to the you know Captain Marvel zapped him right between the eyes. So I like it. I to me, I see it as a satire. It's to me, it's like Animal Farm or whatever. You know, you mean misappropriated by people who've never read anything by Orwell, but who. <laughs> use it incorrectly. Yeah. I'm inspired by misuse. 
Wanting to let gay people get married is Orwellian. Uh, I don't think you understand what the fuck you're saying, friend. couple other little things for you about the songs. I know you love the song and I don't I don't hate the song. There's no part of me that hates it. It's just it's not a favorite song of it's mine. It's a least favorite, but it's still a favorite. <laughs> well, like all the Beatles songs. There yeah. there's no Beatles songs I hate. The only one I kind of won't listen to unless I've got vinyl on is coming up on disc 4. <laughs> and maybe it's sung by Ringo. Find out. <laughs> Another tease. Um <laughs> On the American cassette of this, yeah, and eight track up until the very last cassette issues, this song was only called Buffalo. Uh, Buff- uh. <laughs> Buffalo. This song was the theme to the Dabney Coleman show in '83. <laughs> yeah, Great show. Yeah, the Gina Davis was in that. We watched it. I think it. it was Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was, this was a. It's uh, <laughs> going for it. Is that the theme? Like, I couldn't tell you the theme is the problem. The key might be wrong, but I remember so well. It was like news anchor music. Da, 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 It's called Bungalow Bill on the cassette and A-track versions of this. If you had the white cassette of this, if you had the A-track of this, it's just called Bungalow Bill. And Ubla <laughs> Di Ubla Da is not listed with any hyphens. It's one word, two words, Ubla Di Ubla Da. Right. There's no hyphens on the American uh, cassette and A-track. It's very strange. Welcome to Font Lover's Corner. Uh, yeah, I guess it's the, the kerning, you know, they couldn't press the kerning on the, the font any closer, so they just had to cut words. You've got to tell me what those words mean. <laughs> kerning, that's just the space between letters. That's all. Yeah. Cool, <laughs> man. Thank you for visiting Font Lover's Corner. Fonts, fonts, love those fonts. Please do not think I dislike this song, which is not a favorite of mine. Got it. Who was Bungalow Bill? 27-year-old Richard Cook III, known as Rick, and his mother Nancy. He was a six-foot-tall guy with a crew cut, and his mother brought too much luggage to... This is in Rishikesh, when they were all in India for, you know, two months or whatever it was. Depends on which beetle you are, how long you stayed. Ringo was a couple weeks. A couple weeks. (laughs) And Paul was like, you know, I think I'm good, too. (laughs) Right. Paul was like into like workshopping songs every day. And George was like, we're not here to write a fucking record, Paul. <laughs> and Paul's like, well, <laughs> we kind of are. <laughs> we're Beatles. That's what I'm doing. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Rick Cook and his mom take a break from meditation one day to go on this kind of a safari thing to see tigers they're on an elephant and they're looking at tigers and i guess one of the tigers came after them or threatened or way anyway, anyway he blew him away and i think is it in the book i forget but there is a picture that you can see of the actual the slain tiger and those two like smiling next to it you know and it's like huh. talk about a beetle sniffer fantasy <laughs> moment <laughs> yeah and i want to say this is uh this was the inspiration for jimmy john to open up a sub shop 
He was like, oh, oh, can I get tiger meat? How much is tiger meat? Maybe I'll make subs. Uh, <laughs> Rising up. Got tiger meat. Free smells. Free smells Free is smells. the worst That's Jimmy combination of words. I Sorry. There's a Jimmy John's close to where I work. I do Jimmy John's once in a while. I don't yeah. do mayo because nobody's ever used more mayo in their life. <laughs> But like, yeah, I'm not in favor. I, Subway over Jimmy John's. There, I said it. Potbelly's over Subway. A hundred percent. Potbelly's <laughs> over everything. Potbelly's for president. <laughs> you love it so much. <laughs> Why don't you marry a wreck? Hey, there you go. I like the wreck. Well. So then Rick comes back from the safari and he tells, they're telling the Maharishi, like, we shot a tiger or whatever. It was amazing or whatever. And the Martian, Maharishi's not into it. Maharishi's, uh, the word is aghast. And to his credit, Rick Cook, the third, he never hunted again. Yeah, he learned his lesson. I think he felt pretty, pretty rotten about the whole thing. How many times do you think the chorus happens in this song, TJ? I'm including the fade out of this. Yeah. Uh, 12 times. Eight. Okay. Rule eight <laughs> Rule every eight. time. Yeah. And yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Arthur Baker's extended dance remix to this. Okay, makes sense. This is Yoko's vocal debut on a Beatles record. Yoko vocal. And Maureen Starkey was in the sing-along part, too. So thanks, thanks Mo. Mo. Thanks, Mo. <laughs> I'm done your bits. You better be faster with your bits, son. <laughs> Unison is fun, though. And then A Up at the end. A Up. That is a surprised greeting. It's a Northern England thing. Ayo. It's like maybe if someone shows up at the at the pub and you weren't expecting. A Up. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I think that was it was a Fonzie inspired thing. I think and we saw the picture of John with Fonzie. Uh, <laughs> John with, yeah. Um. No, here's, I've I've got a little I've got a, a little bit of trivia here. Mm, let's hear it. Let's play trivia. You know who played the Mellotron on this? Was Chris Thomas? Yes, big dairy guy, big dairy guy. Really, uh, you know, he was a longtime egg producer, hmm. and until his work on the White Album, then sadly he stopped egg producing until 1979. <laughs> and you might ask, what happened in 1979? Oh, what happened in 1979? Oh, he got back to the egg. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the egg. Long, long time egg producer, Chris Thomas. Long, long time joke teller, TJ Shanoff. Bring a book to this joke telling. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. Yeah, because Chris Thomas, he produced, didn't he produce Run, um, Run Devil Run? Oh, good question. I think he might have co-produced that with Paul. Yeah, that's what I thought. He did Run DMC's Raising Hell. He did Brian Adams' Run to You. Slade's Run, Run Away. 
Mike and uh, the Mechanics, keep, or keep on running. Who's saying keep on running? Doobie Brothers. Stop. Co-produced. He co-produced Run, Devil, Run. It's produced by Paul McCartney. And, yeah, yeah, so we're both right. Yes, great, great pull. And that's got such a great sound. Run, Devil, Run is such a great album with some of Paul's best ever original rock tracks. Yeah, man. That what it is, fuck, I love what it is. You are what it is that makes the world. It's him, yeah, it's him getting back to that rock and roll sound like they did on the White Album, you know? You mentioned the A-Up as yeah. kind of a uh, what a Northern English tradition. Well, check this out. On the 87 CD of this, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, you can hear the uh in A-Up. In the 09 CD, there's even a brief stutter of it before the piano and drums kick in. It's only clean on the Blue Album, the 09 Mono, and the 2018 Remix. Is the only truly clean version of this song with that intro. Everything else has a bit of a trail or a hiccup on CD of what precedes it. I'm sure digitally it doesn't, but in terms of CD pressings of this. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. If you want to hear the While My Guitar Gently Weeps with a clean intro, Blue Album. Yeah, always a good way to go. Yeah. You know, this song has obviously been talked about a million times. I underranked this in my Beatles list. I underranked a lot of these, Tony, when we did our Beatles songs, because hearing them all together, like one after one, even even uh, Bungalow Bill... I love them all, and this song is great. The way the guitar kind of has that warble to it. Oh, yeah. It's it's ingenious the way it's not just played with Clapton, but recorded. I look at the world, and I notice it's turning. While my guitar gently That was a that was a post effects decision, and that's like they manually had to warble the tape, which is also I think the organ track is also on that same track, so the, that's why the organ also has that strange, right, wobbly quality to it. wonderful i heard when uh sam o'kell and and giles martin were doing the 2018 mixes they had to manually recreate that same effect while mixing it <laughs> oh shit yeah. you know they manually recreated revolution number nine did they we'll save it i don't know if they did that <laughs> would be impossible let's, let's save it yeah i think that's impossible <laughs> yeah i mean to me this is like there's a part of me that keeps wanting to say this is george's first real hit song that means you're throwing out tax man and if i needed someone and i need you i need you yeah don't bother me he, few and far between but mostly excellent uniformly yeah and even like within you without you has heavy lyrics but there's something about this song that combines like george's gift for his version of rock and roll his guitar playing his outlook with his kind of heavy philosophy thing and this is also the first time george has 
return to guitar since his uh, love affair with the sitar, you know? So he's getting back into the guitar again, and he's bringing whatever he learned from his journeys out east, from his journey to the east. <laughs> I was trying to do a Bill Plummer reference, but of course I said the word journey, so... <laughs> I woke up in a daze from deep within, and the vision ceased. That was the way I came upon my journey to the east. Yeah, so it's his lament for humankind's potential and a spiritual path. You know, he sees the potential for humanity to like maybe not go to war, etc. If they could only just see beyond themselves and ego and personal gain, etc. But, you know, there's reality. And it's 1968, which is like the most tumultuous year, you know, since World War II or whatever, you know? Yeah. To me, this is a great, it's a heavy song. It sounds great. It's one of his best songs. It's a reason why they always play this song at a George thing for the most part. Yeah, unless it's the one that Danny, unless Danny, <laughs> Danny organized. Everyone's done this. Well, yeah, why is Perry Farrell singing Here Comes the Sun awkwardly then? Everyone's done that too, Danny. Danny, he's never heard the song before. Something's going on. Um, this song... Also, since the days of the anthology, I mean, certainly if you had bootlegs, you knew the acoustic version well before Anthology 3 came out. But Anthology 3 popularized and standardized the acoustic version of the song. Yeah. Both with and then later without the George Martin string accompaniment that uh, was in love, which then took it up a notch. The last thing George Martin ever did on a Beatles record was put the score together for acoustic while my guitar gently weeps which is lovely this song is such a tender song for george and george isn't with us anymore and it's very, my responsibility in adding music to to this i was I weighed very heavily on me i don't know why nobody told you how to unfold your love I don't know how someone controlled you. They bought and sold you. So this song had been a standard for, what, 30 years before that even happened? But it's now, Tony, a standard in both ways. It's a standard as the White Album track with Clapton, then uncredited, as I'm sure everyone listening to the show knows. Right. Uh, because of record companies. I mean, that's the end of Cream is when Clapton recorded this, right? Is yeah. Is that around that time, time frame? Yeah. So it's an incredible, incredible track. And um, I think I've heard it so much, a little like Yesterday and Hey Jude. It's like one of the greatest hits of the non-Beatles one greatest hits. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard this song so much, but like, there is a way where you're able to like, let me just listen to this with fresh ears, like for the first time. And you hear all those wonderful things. That's Paul on the piano with that intro. Great intro. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the power of a great intro is like, it's got everything. It was already a great song. And then you throw that, that cool piano line in there. That's cool to hear. I think on the, one of the outtakes you can hear him finding that there's like an earlier take and the notes are there. They're just in a weird, different cadence, 
yeah. they're there and it's like, oh, you almost got it. <laughs> I'll just have cheese and lettuce and all my sandwich and coffee. Okay, a one, two, three, four. This was the first song to be recorded on EMI's eight-track console. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. George Harrison said, "Give me that fucking eight-track, man. I got Eric Clapton coming in. He's gonna play a Les Paul. They think he played a Les Paul. That might have been that red Les Paul that he ended up giving to George that we see in the Get Back thing. Mm, so I take it you play a more John." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my <laughs> and my base is uh, my base is uh, an enough stew. <laughs> uh, the lyrics too, they come from uh, reading the I Ching, and uh, you know, in Western culture, coincidence, coincidence, coincidences. That's a hard word to say, my friend. <laughs> Try coinky dinks. Coinky dinks, yeah. You know, TJ. In Western culture, uh, dinks simply occur. But in Eastern philosophy, it's all meant to be there is no coincidence. This is kind of the idea of where uh, the lyrics here were, were coming from for this song. The love that lies there sleeping. Yeah, you know, the extra verse that's in the acoustic Isha version. Yeah. I love that one. I look at the trouble and hate that is raging. While my guitar gently weeps As I'm sitting here Doing nothing but aging Still my guitar gently There's like two or three great versions of this song And of course we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Prince cover they did a couple years ago with Prince playing lead on this is one of the great rock guitar performances I've ever seen. It's cliche to say that, but it's also very, very true. I mean, he blew him away. He blew him away, and he, he was doing a, a bit of the gymnastics. R.I.P. It was a great solo. Yeah. Yeah. Flashy. But that's Prince. Prince is flashy, you know. Yeah. Was. <laughs> yeah. Still is, though, on the tapes. Yeah, he, he's not He's not phoning it in when you watch a tape. <laughs> How many Prince tapes are you watching? I watch all the tapes. <laughs> you watch, I watch a lot of tapes of Prince Charles as a young man. <laughs> You know what's curious? What I would love to hear, before Clapton came in, George was doing a backwards guitar solo on this. And I'd be curious to hear that. But I'm also, I also get it. It's like by now that's 68, it's been at least two years since they did the backwards guitar bit, you know? Right. On I'm Only Sleeping and, yeah, basically I'm Only Sleeping, Rain, Tomorrow Never Knows. He's doing this backwards guitar solo, but it's like they did that already. So he came up, they came up with something new, bring in a new person, someone to do a guitar. That's really rare on a Beatles record for an outside musician to come in and play a guitar. You know, it gave Eric Clapton pause. Eric Clapton didn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> How? I know. I remember then his, 
His, his hands got really long and turned into claws. <laughs> he, he played great basketball, though. <laughs> He's got hair all over his body. Wolves aren't supposed to be shy. He's a wolf in teens' clothing. And tonight is his night to howl. Teen Wolf, a new comedy with Michael J. Fox, star of Back to the Future. But what did I, I heard it gave him pause? Is that right? <laughs> yes, it gave him pause because he he didn't want to just come in and play on a Beatles record. He knew the weight that that carried, and it, you know it changed the whole mood because they weren't taking the song very seriously. So Clapton came in, and when was he credited on this? It didn't start till maybe '09. I don't even think he's on the '87 CD. I can't remember. Yeah, there's no mention of him. You know, the 87 CDs are a reproduction of the 68 stuff without anything added other than, you know, remastered for CD or whatever by whomever. And the poster chopped up into pages of the booklet. <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I don't know when he got, I guess maybe 2000. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not until the book, you know, that came with the big box set thing in 2018, which is a great book, by the way. We haven't mentioned it yet, but yeah, it's wonderful. this thing was also a wonderful research tool. All those handwritten lyrics. It's yeah. wonderful. I love this book. Yeah. The pictures of Ringo playing a double bass kit. Yeah. It's amazing. Which is kind of wild. Yeah, man. It's real cool. It's real cool. Well, okay. This song's in my top 10. It ends side one. Happiness is a warm gun. I know we we addressed the gun thing. Yes, yes. Here's the thing, man. So that so that title, it was a provocative title. This is a this is maybe one of the songs that Paul might have deemed provocative. At least the title. I know that he loved the band loved this song. Uh this is their favorite song. I I know that I want to say Paul's first date with Linda or something like that. The first time they hung out that she came over they had just finished recording this or a version of it, and he brought home an acetate to play for her. So this is like kind of Linda McCartney's entry into the Beatle world was like, oh, check yeah, out this thing we recorded today. Isn't it crazy? She gave this to Ringo, who gave it to Peter Sellers to give back to Ringo to give to Peter Sellers <laughs> down the road. <laughs> Yeah, Tony, may I tell you something about this song real quick? Because yeah. I, I already gave my spiel about how I feel about guns and John singing about guns. I love the song. And as a side one ender and as a medley, I'd forgotten how disparate the sections are and yet how they all work together so well. As yeah. a part of this album and coming after all my guitar gently weeps. Yeah, man, I fucking love this song. I do. It's such a good song. I love it. And it's only like, what, two minutes and change or something like that. It's it's insane. Yeah. Uh, the title infamously came from an NRA, you know, a rag, some NRA, NRA publication that had an article written about a boy learning how to shoot a gun. And the name of the article title was Happiness is a Warm Gun. And that was a play on this uh Peanuts, Charles Schultz thing, happiness is a warm puppy. So gross, by the way. Let's play in a Peanuts cartoon for a gun ad. Yeah. Gross. 
So Happiness is a Warm Puppy is this little book. In fact, I bought one right here because I loved it so much. I loved seeing the inspiration for the stupid NRA article. It's a picture of uh, Lucy hugging Snoopy, and it says Happiness is a Warm Puppy. I really love the font on that. Um, Anyway. What font is it then? Don't leave us hanging. I don't know. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it, but it looks like a combination of wide Latin and engravers. I so FYI. C- cool guess, bro. <laughs> Thank you for visiting Font Lovers Corner. Fonts, fonts, love those fonts. So I think George Martin had a copy of this magazine laying around, and he showed that to John, who thought it was like uh, George was like, "This is crazy," and John turned it into the song title. It's three parts. The song parts in this medley are, are called Dirty Old Man. Lying with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. The Junkie. I need a fix cause I'm going down. And The Gunman. Happiness is a warm gun. Well, strangely, John seemed to need help with uh, lyrics on this song. So in a room, it's Derek Taylor and it's John. It's Neil Aspinall and old friend, Liverpool friend, Pete Shotton. So they're all there. They're tossing lines. It's very similar to maybe how Eleanor Rigby came about. Yeah. uh, Except with less controversy. Derek Taylor, their press agent, he came up with the opening line. She's not a girl who misses much. He also spoke of a guy who wore moleskin gloves during sex and lizards crawling on windows. So that's kind of like the dirty old man thing. Yeah, well acquainted with the touch of a velvet hand. Right? Yeah, man. Yeah. She's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand like a lizard on a window pane. Yeah, when you when you hear about where these images come from, it's it's kind of it's wild, you know. It's like, oh, the circles they're running with. Uh there was a newspaper that informed John about a soccer fan, uh football, if you will. Who wore mirrors on his shoe tips to look up the skirts? The man in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors on his hobnail boots. And a guy who used fake hands to distract shopkeepers while his real hands stole things from the counter case. So that's lying with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. Working overtime. Lying with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. Yeah, man. That's wild. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Fake hands. That's a lot of effort. That is a lot of effort, man. That's a lot of effort. And then I learned this. I didn't know this, but, you know, donated to the National Trust. Yeah. That's a joke. That means defecating on public property. Yeah, I read that, too. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> so there you go. I didn't know that. So there's, yeah, so there's humor all over this record. Um this song included, which is, it's a dark song. It is a dark song. This is one of those dangerous songs. Like he's talking about fix and stuff. And he claimed not, it's not about drugs or whatever, but he also labeled that second part of the song, the junkie, you know, is that mother superior jumped the gun? Yeah. Or like, I need a fix. Cause fix. I'm going down. Yeah. But is mother superior jumped the guns connected to that? That's the same fragment of the song. Yeah, I think so. That make those those are the two those two parts are connected to me, yeah. 
and that's there's the part where you can hear the previously mixed version of John singing. That's never been corrected. I think in the 2018, you still hear down, right? I can't remember. Some of them got, yes, yeah, someone corrected that somewhere, and I don't like it. Not 09. Yeah. 09, it's authentic, and mono, it's authentic, but I kind of, I'm used to hearing that. I want to say on mono, it's not there, but on stereo, I think it's a stereo anomaly, I think. Uh, I think you may be right. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Okay. I, yeah. But I've always loved that. I've always loved his voice creeping back in on that. It's kind of fun. I miss it without it. And I, as a drummer, I tried figuring out all the different time signatures on this. It, it's just a big mess of numbers that's not going to make any sense. <laughs> and like, even to me as a drummer, it's like, oh, well, we do three, three of these and then four of it, it's six, eight, but then there's one of two, eight, you know, it's like, well, now I'm just saying numbers at you. Suffice it to say the song, it sounds right. It's this crazy jumble, but it sounds right. The way John Lennon's head had a way of making sense out of nonsense. Well, and then he resolves it with that kind of 50s doo-wop melody that's so nice with the bang bang shoot shoots behind it. Yeah. Happiness is a warm gun. Yes, it is. Happiness is a warm. Yes, it is. And the falsetto voice, he says, yes, it is twice, which I've always loved. It feels like a little bit of a throwback to three years prior. Yes, it is. It's true. Yes, it is. It's true. It's only three years. Isn't that crazy? Only three years. Absolutely insane. Yeah, I, I, this one I can easily look. I think because this one doesn't sing songy, cutesy. Like Bungalow Bill to me sounds like that should have been on like Ringo's Choose Love album. <laughs> like this at least is such a masterful straw- song. <laughs> I've come around more on this and remembering, remembering too how much I used to absolutely love the song. And on the cassette tape, after all my guitar gently weeps, it's Blackbird. Not this. Happiness is a warm gun. Open side, uh, side two. That's so strange. On the 8-track, on the though, right? Or is it like that on the cassette? No, on the cassette, Blackbird ends side one. Oh, okay. Okay. I brought these. These are the white tapes. I brought these to summer camp my first three years of camp. They, I had a red toolbox with Beatles tapes. That's so wild. I don't see. That's, that's a fact. I don't remember that. Now I do. I always thought they all they did on the tape was switch Helter Skelter and Sexy Sadie or whatever, you know. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's the only tape two switch. I know the tape one that's gone on, unless they revised it for the final Apple issue, but I don't think they did. And I didn't have that. I had whatever okay. you could buy in 1989, I think. Okay. Or 88, whenever I bought White Album. Yeah, The Beatles, <laughs> part one, part two. Yeah, The Beatles. <laughs> the blue spine and the four black and white pictures. Yeah, the Xerox copies of their faces. <laughs> yeah, if they had put the White Album cover on there, I would have figured out that's the White <laughs> right. Album. But they didn't. They took the, yeah, yeah. And then the slipcover is brown. Man, why can't be the slipcover white? Yeah. it's Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah. Well, what a side one, man. What a side one. 
Yeah, amazing. An amazing uh, Beatles accomplishment. Except for Wild Honey Pie, they're all, even if you like Wild Honey Pie, they're basically all classics. You've got all classics. You've got one really good and one Wild Honey Pie. What a side one indeed, and what an episode two. And we're just getting started. Look out for, I don't know, maybe two more episodes coming as TJ and Tony continue their deep dish into the White Album. It's producer Casey here again, just popping in to thank you all for listening and to remind you that if you like what we do here, we've got some sweet merch and an exclusive Patreon Discord treehouse. And if you want to learn about either of those things, head on over to untitledbeatlespodcast.com. We'll see you back here next week as we dig into at least side two. I'm not sure how much further than that will get. If there's anybody who can go 75 minutes discussing the finer points of why don't we do it in the road, it's got to be these two jamokes. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe.